you have a Bible, you might like to turn to John chapter um, 21. So I'm going to read from there in a little bit. John chapter 21. And if you're regularly here, then you'll know we're in this series called Letters from a Friend, where each sermon will end with a letter. It's going to be slightly different today in that the letter will be in the form of a song. As you know, if you've ever spoken to me or watched me, uh, I like to play golf. And when I didn't play golf, it looked a really easy game. (laughs) As you know, I trained as a PE teacher in my previous life. uh, Because I like sport, and I'm fairly competent at most of them. I have a good eye for a ball, so playing rugby football, I loved doing that when I was at school. Um, And I still play football. And those of you who turn up on a Monday will vouch that I'm really quite good, aren't I? Until I start playing. (laughs) We love turning up on a Monday night, whatever the weather. It's great fun. You'd be very welcome. Seven o'clock at Maiden Bower, Oriel, if you want to join in. You'd be very welcome. I love the racket sports as well. Tennis, squash, badminton. They were my favourite. In fact, I was just thinking um, yesterday when men we were talking about being a hero. And my hero growing up was Bjorn Borg. Do you remember him? Ice Borg. I wanted to be Ice Borg. I'm a purist. I don't like two-handed players, but... um, he was a two-handed player, but I loved him anyway, because he was the first one. Everyone's copied Bjorn Borg. Great. Come and talk to me about Borg. I'd love to talk to you about Bjorn Borg. But when I was younger, I never played golf. I only got into golf because um, it was a way of raising money to build this building. Someone was organising golf matches, and I went along, hacked my way around, and somehow got hooked. In all the sports I played, I could hit or catch a moving ball. In golf, the ball is not moving when you hit it. But somehow, it turns out to be a lot harder than it looks. And what I learned quite quickly in golf is that every shot counts. It is surprisingly easy to make a mistake when trying to hit a golf ball that isn't in fact moving. And here's another thing I discovered if you make a mistake and hit a bad shot. It often leads to another. Every bad shot counts against you on the golf course. Golf is a game of rules. Lots of rules, I have discovered. But there is one absolutely beautiful rule, at least for some people. In golf, there's a rule called a mulligan. A mulligan means you can play a shot again. And not only can you play a shot again, but you can play it for free. If you hit a bad shot, and if your playing partners agree, you can play that shot again, and it won't be counted against you. Your bad shot won't be counted against you, it won't be written down, it won't appear on the scorecard. It will be, in fact, as if it never happened. If you're given a mulligan, you get a clean slate, a fresh start. You can play your shot as if for the first time. It's going to be good this morning, isn't it? And at my level of golf, I am a fan of mulligans. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful... If we could have mulligans in other areas of life too. 
Wouldn't it be great if in other areas of life I could just call, that's a mulligan. If I make a mistake, or if I get something wrong, or if I do something stupid, I could simply say, I'm taking a mulligan. I wonder how one teacher's life would be different if he could say, I'll just take a mulligan on that one. And the slate would be wiped clean. I could start again as if nothing had happened. And whatever I'd said or done or thought wouldn't be counted against me. A young promising junior executive at IBM, true story, was involved in a risky gamble that cost the company $10 million. He was called into the office of his boss, who happened to be the founder of IBM, who had become by then a business legend. The junior executive went into the room full of guilt and fear and immediately offered his resignation. But the founder of the company would not accept his resignation. I've just invested $10 million in educating you. He said, I can't afford your resignation. John chapter 21 verse 1. And I'm reading today from the New American Standard Bible. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I love that. I'm going fishing. Well, maybe you don't love it. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into their boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will have a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul in it because there were a great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 150 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got onto the land, they saw a charcoal file already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to to them, come and have breakfast. Now, sorry, none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord? Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time Jesus was manifest to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him again a third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Surely if anyone knew about making a mistake, it was Peter. If anyone knows about failure, surely it's Peter. And my best guess would be that all of us, to one degree or another, know about failure. Peter's story is a story that speaks to any of us here broken by failure. It's a story for any of us who might desperately be hoping and needing a mulligan. It's a story of a man who thought he'd failed so badly that he'd put himself beyond the reach of God's love and God's grace. If ever you've been broken by failure and you think God can't love you, then this story is for you. Peter and the boys have been fishing all night and they've caught nothing. Jesus suggests that they try again by putting their nets on the other side of the boat. They do, remarkably, since they haven't recognised at this point that it is in fact Jesus who's telling them to fish. And their nets are bursting with fish. The penny drops and Peter runs to meet Jesus on the beach. Jesus is already fixing breakfast. And there is something that leaps out for Peter and pierces him right to his heart. The text in the NASB tells us that Jesus is cooking over a charcoal fire. Peter knows about a charcoal fire. This detail is not lost on him. Chapter 18 of John's Gospel, reading verse 17. You may not get the nuance, but it is in the NASB. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are also one of those disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. In his moment of deepest failure, when he denies that he even knows Jesus, Peter is warming himself by a charcoal fire. Now Peter meets Jesus on a beach, and Jesus is cooking over a charcoal fire. Peter suddenly, shockingly, remembers his moment of deepest failure. And in this moment, he knows that if he is to be with Jesus, he will have to face the truth about who he is and what he has done. And friends, the challenge for us is that we must do the same. We have to face up to the truth about ourselves. Peter had many failures, but denying Jesus was probably his greatest. And maybe he thought it was unforgivable. How hard must this moment be for Peter? 
how hard is it, friends, for you and me to face the truth about ourselves? After breakfast, Jesus and Peter find a moment alone together, face to face. And Jesus looks Peter in the eye and he says, Peter, do you love me? Notice what Jesus doesn't ask. Jesus doesn't ask, Peter, are you sorry for what you've done? He does not ask, do you promise never to do it again? He asks, Peter, do you love me? This is the invitation of the second chance. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Peter probably doesn't realize it, but by asking him three times, do you love me? Jesus is gently bringing about the healing of Peter's greatest failure. Three times he denied Jesus. Three times he declares his love. This is really beautiful. It's, it's really wonderful. It's absolutely brilliant. Because Jesus meets Peter right in the middle and right at the point of his greatest failure. He knows the truth about Peter and he meets him anyway. Why was Jesus there on the beach that morning? Precisely because he wants to meet people just like Peter. And then he invites him back into the game. Peter's gone back to fishing. Jesus says, Peter, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Perhaps another way of saying it might be this. Peter, I'm not giving up on you because I love you far too much for that. Peter, you may feel like the greatest failure. You may feel worthless. You may think that I will abandon you, but you have not reached the end of my love yet. And Jesus is in the business of meeting people over a charcoal fire. Not literally, of course, but you understand the point, don't you? And is it possible that he is waiting to meet you if only you would face up to the truth about yourself and take a walk up the beach? There's an important thing you need to know about mulligans. You can't take a mulligan in a game of golf that really matters. There are no mulligans in a competition. There are no mulligans in professional golf. That's because the integrity of the game matters. And there are no 
mulligans just given out willy-nilly. And there are things in life, friends, that matter, that really matter. And God's love, the love that you can never find the end of, is not a love that simply just doesn't care. It's not that our failures are nothing or don't count for anything. God's love isn't about pretending that some things didn't really happen. In golf, you keep score and the score matters and someone has to keep the score. If there is love, then there must be justice. The prophet Amos tells us that one day, justice will roll like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. We will be held to account. We will sign the scorecard. God's great love leads him to forgive. And the place where love, forgiveness and justice come together is the cross. The cross declares to us God's hatred for sin and the damage it does. The cross declares the magnitude of God's love and his insatiable appetite to forgive and redeem those who fail. Meeting Jesus over a charcoal file could possibly have been the hardest thing that Peter ever did. But it was also the best thing that Peter ever did. For this is where he faced the truth about himself and the truth about himself in God's eyes. When they met that morning for breakfast, Jesus had not long been to the cross. There he died for Peter's greatest failure and for all the truth of who Peter was. And there he died so that three days later he could rise again for Peter's greatest moment and for all the truth of who Peter could be. He met Peter on a beach so he could extend the invitation of the second chance. And his invitation of the second chance, friends, extends to me and to you. If you meet him on the beach, you will find that his love has no limit, his grace has no measure, and his power has no boundary. There's a fire ready. He's just waiting for you.
And God's letter today comes in the form of a song. It's all right. 